morning, everybody. Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith. My name is Mike. I am uh, one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, it's just good to be here with you today as we are kicking off the falls. We're kicking off a brand new series today entitled Enemies of the Heart. Uh, this is a series that we have based off of a book by the same name, and uh, this is uh, what we call a church-wide series. So Pastor Eric alluded to this during uh, his time up here today, but basically what this means is uh, with this series, we're going to start a conversation on Sundays uh, here as we are sitting in rows, whether we're here at church or whether you're there at home uh, in your living room, your family room, wherever you're watching. And then we're going to continue that conversation in our small groups as we sit in circles throughout the week. And some of those small groups are meeting live and in person. Some of those small groups are meeting via Zoom. And we're doing this because we learn and grow differently when we're sitting in rows than we do when we're sitting in circles. But we learn and grow best when we're doing both. And so it's not too late to sign up for a group yet. If you haven't done that yet, you still can. You got to jump online to do that. Uh, you go to 4FCC.org groups and you can get signed up for a group. And again, there are some that are meeting live. There are some that are uh, meeting via Zoom, whichever way you're most comfortable with. Uh, there are all kinds of groups and we would love to have you be part of one of those. And so if you haven't gotten signed up for a group yet, I cannot encourage you enough to do so. You, you have an opportunity to learn and grow differently and better as you do this in community, and you have an opportunity to help others learn and grow better as you do community with them. So that said, uh, we're going to take a minute and pray before we kick this off, and then I will share a story with you that highlights my depravity as a child. So uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, it's just, uh, it's been so much that has gone on uh, this week. And for so many folks uh, here at church, it's been a hard week. Uh, there's been a, just a tremendous amount of loss. Father, we want to pray for several families uh, who have lost loved ones. For the Fitzsimmons family as they mourn the loss of Chris's dad. For the Erickson family as they mourn the loss of Al. For the Stang family, as just yesterday, um, they lost Kevin's dad completely unexpectedly. It's just a, that's just a lot of loss to try and process in a short period of time. And Father, I pray you would be with those families, that you would comfort them. Uh, Father, just especially in a time and a season when people are grieving and um, all the filters seem to go away and everybody's emotions are running especially high, uh, please give them grace to be kind and understanding with each other and slow to speak and, and quick to um, just be gracious about what other people say in the midst of all their emotions. Father, just as uh, we take time today to explore your word and kick off this new series. I uh, pray you would pour out your spirit on us, on the conversation that we're going to have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, as hard as this may be to believe, uh, as a child, I didn't always do what I was told to do. 
I know, it's a shocker for, for many of you, but uh, as a kid, that's just how I rolled. And so uh, my parents, you know, I'm old enough that my parents believed in spanking. I know that's controversial today, and uh, some people worry about, you know, uh, you know, and think poor life spanking. It wasn't a big deal when I was a kid, and my parents wouldn't have cared if it was. They were going to spank. It's just how they, they did the things. And so I remember one time getting into trouble. I don't know what I did. Who knows? Uh, but my mom was giving me a spanking, and she got done. And, and, and I turned around and I looked at my mother and I said, that didn't hurt. <laughs> Do you know what my mother did? She gave me another one. And I turned around and I looked at her again and I said, that didn't hurt either. And so then my mother, she uttered the words that as kids we quickly learned to dread. And she said, you just wait until your father gets home. <laughs> yeah. And then dad came home. And dad gave me a spanking. And that one hurt. <laughs> I don't know that my dad ever gave me a spanking that didn't hurt. And, and, but that particular one, I think dad gave it a little extra pop just to make sure, right? In fact, I don't know if my left buttocks ever been quite the same since that spanking. But th there it is, right? And so, um, but a funny thing happened after that. From that time forward, I made sure that when my mother gave me a spanking, that I pretended like it hurt. Like, I, and I got good at this. Like, I dialed in. You didn't want too little reaction. You didn't want too much drama. You know, there was just the right amount of reaction to convince mom that this hurts and you don't need dad to follow up when he gets home, right? And, and for me as a kid, that was one of my very first lessons in behavior modification. I figured out that there are certain things I did not want to say, certain things that I did not want to do because it produced outcomes that I did not want to live with. Now, here's the, the, the interesting thing. All kinds of us in this room today, all kinds of folks like me and really just even people beyond me, from a young age, we figured out how to do this. As kids, we learned, hey, there are certain things. If I say these things, if I do these things, it is not going to go well for me. And so we begin to filter those things out to try and avoid those negative outcomes. And then the smart ones among us, from a young age, we figured out this works both ways. Like there's certain things I need to stay away from, but you know what? There are other things that I could say. There are other things that I could do. And they would actually produce positive outcomes in my life. From a young age, we learn behavior modification. From a young age, we learn to filter what we say and what we do. So as far as on the outside, as far as what people can tell from watching, everything looks good. Never mind what might actually be going on inside of us, what our motivations might be. It's just, hey, we're going to avoid these outcomes and we're going to try and produce these ones instead. Now, even though we learn this at a young age, we carry this on into adulthood with us. We, we learn behavior mod, and, and we filter as adults. And that's not, not, not a bad thing. In fact, learning to filter as adults, that's the difference between whether you get a first date or a second date or you're single. Learning to filter as adults, that's, that's a difference between like doing a job by yourself or having somebody help you. Learning to filter, I mean, that's the difference between having friends or being alone in life. And, and we, not only do we learn as kids and bring us into adulthood, but we, do, we continue to live like this. Chances are all of us in this room live like this in some way or, or, or another in our lives. For example, uh, at home, here in, here in, purpose, in person, how many of us have a job? 
Show of hands, you got a job, right? You put that on your live stream feed. Now, just think about this. When you're at work, are there certain things that you would like to say, but you don't say them? There are certain things you would like to do, but you don't do them. Because you know if you say those things, if you do those things, it's not going to go well for you at work. You may not even be employed after you say or do those things, right? And when you think about this, when you're at work, are there things that you don't want to say, but you say them anyway? Anybody got something at work that you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway? Because you realize by saying those things or doing those things, it's going to be better for you at work if you do so. See, we, we all do this. And again, I'm not, I'm not down on this. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. In fact, there's some wisdom that even comes with modifying our behavior, learning to filter the things that we say or do. But, but in this series, we're going to see that if filtering what we say or do so as to avoid certain outcomes or produce others, if filtering is as far as we've matured, then we're going to be left with some serious deficiencies in our lives and in our relationships. If, if in the process of maturing as adults and followers of Jesus, if as far as we've come is filtering, we're going to discover life isn't going to work the way we want it to and our relationships are going to suffer for it. Because you see, try as we might to filter things, from time to time, things get by our filters, don't they? It's, again, you just think about this. You, you ever been in a spot where you're having a conversation with somebody and things get heated and they get tense and then you say that thing and even as the words are coming out of your mouth, you're trying to grab them and stuff them back in but the, you can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. And as soon as you've said that ugly thing, you take a step back and like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I don't know where that came from. Or you're, you're, in the, I mean, just, you're in a situation, it's just stressful. And there's drama. And then you do that thing. And the minute you've done it, you know you shouldn't have done it. And you regret it. But you can't take it back. And, you're like, and, you, and you, again, you step back and you're like, I don't, know, I don't know why I did that. That's just not like me. See, try as we might to filter our, our words, try as we might to filter our actions. From time to time, things get by our filters. And when they do, we are likely to fall prey to the filter fallacy. We'll say something we never should have said. We'll do something we never should have done. And then we'll think, oh my goodness, I can't let that happen again. I need to fix my filter. I need to reinforce my filter. I need to get a more sophisticated filter so I don't say that or I don't do that again. And, and here, here's part of the trouble with that. The, the, with the filter fallacy, I believe the lie that my problem is with my filter rather than with something deeper. With the filter fallacy, I will say something I've never should have said. I will do something I never should have done. And I believe, hey, the real problem here is my filter. And I fail to see that the real problem is something far deeper, far more important than my filter. 
And as long as I believe this lie, as long as I buy into the filter fallacy, I'm going to continue to have problems. Because if there really is a, if there really is an issue deeper, more important than my filter, and I'm all focused on my filter instead of that deeper issue, that deeper issue is just going to continue to grow. And as it continues to grow, it's going to get by my filter with a greater degree of frequency. And the more it does, the more its presence is going to be felt in my life and in my relationships. Now, I'm convinced Jesus understood all of this. That Jesus understood how we filter things. That Jesus understood how we're, we're, we're likely to get caught up in this filter fallacy. And Jesus understood what the deeper issue really is. In fact, Jesus talks about it. You look at the book of Matthew, chapter 15. And, and you have this incident where Jesus kind of begins a debate with some of the religious leaders in his day and age. And then after that, he, he carries on a conversation with his disciples. And Jesus speaks to the deeper issues beyond our filters and what's at stake with them. It, it all starts off as, as, as Jesus kind of gets into a, a debate with the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Two groups of folks who were kind of filter fanatics in his day and age. And they come to Jesus kind of all wound up. And, and when they come to Jesus, they say to him, um, they say, Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They, they don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, what you have going on here, there's, in that statement, there's all kinds of history and there's all kinds of culture uh, and that you really need to unpack a little bit to understand exactly what's going on here. So bear with me as I do that. Um, in, when this incident takes place, as people are trying to figure out, how do I live in a way that pleases God? There are a couple of factors that they're wrestling with. So like, on one hand, you have the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic law is literally a law that is handed down from God himself to Moses that's meant to serve as directives for how God's people are going to live. So, so on one hand, you have the law of Moses comes directly from God. And then on the other hand, you have this thing called the tradition of the elders. Now, the tradition of the elders is literally hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of man-made rules that were placed on top of the Mosaic Law. These are rules that over the centuries, the religious leaders of the day, they added to the Mosaic Law. And these rules were designed to keep somebody from inadvertently or accidentally violating one of the God-given directives. So on one hand, you've got these God-given directives, and on the other hand, you have these man-made rules. When this incident takes place, what had happened is the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they took the tradition of the elders, these man-made rules, and they elevated it to the same level of importance as they did the God-given directives. They said these man-made rules are every bit as important, every bit as binding for people's lives as the directives that God directly gave to Moses. The trouble was Jesus wouldn't play by those rules. If you read the biographies of Jesus' life, you will see him regularly violate the tradition of the elders. He will always follow the Mosaic law, but he will regularly violate the tradition of the elders. And when he does, the religious leaders just they lose their minds over it. And so, so this is what you have happening here. That Jesus, Jesus and his disciples, 
they're, they're violating one of the traditions of the elders. One of the traditions of the elders is that before you had a meal, you would wash your hands from your fingertips all the way down to your elbows. Now, washing your hands before dinner, not a bad idea. Not a, it's probably even a good thing, even a good idea, right? But, but what they had done, again, is they had elevated this rule to the same status as God's directives. It, like, this is a standard for righteousness. You cannot be right with God if you haven't washed your hands before dinner from your fingertips all the way down to your elbows. And so they're getting after Jesus about this. And as they do, Jesus begins to engage them in conversation. And, and we don't have to untime to, uh, time to unpack it all, but Jesus basically says, look, here's the difference between your, your tradition of the elders, your man-made rules, and the law of Moses, God-given directives. And then Jesus begins to point out to the religious leaders how they will regularly violate God-given directives for the sake of keeping their man-made laws. And then Jesus points out the hypocrisy on their part in doing so. And then finally, Jesus really takes off the gloves as he applies a quote from the book of Isaiah to these religious leaders. He says to them, he says, Isaiah was right when he said of you, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. In other words, all, 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 all you guys, you're, you're just a bunch of talk and no heart. All these rules you've got going here, God, God isn't pleased with this. You, you all are basically wasting your time. And then Jesus just kind of drops the mic and he walks away. And his disciples follow after and they look back at the religious leaders like, yeah, what? You know, and then, then they go off with Jesus. And as so often is the case, when the disciples get along with Jesus, they're like, okay, what was he talking about? I don't know. That didn't make sense to me. And so then they begin to ask Jesus about it. And as they do, Jesus he begins to unpack for them more what he's started with the religious leaders. And as he does, Jesus starts off this way. He says to his disciples, he says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. And his disciples are like, well, yeah, Jesus, I mean, we, we see that all the time. <laughs> see that several times a day. I see that way more than I ever wanted to. Matthew, why are you even writing that down, man? I don't know. I'm just writing down what he says, right? You know? So G Jesus starts off. He, he, just, he, he, he says, don't you see? That whatever enters their mouth goes in the stomach and then out the body. And, and, but now that he's got their attention, now that he's established a logical progression of thought, Jesus continues. And he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from where, according to Jesus? Their heart. Their heart. So, so going back again, having this conversation, and it gets heated, and emotions are just raging. And, and we, we say that thing we know we never should have said, and then we step back and like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I don't know where that came from. 
And Jesus says, I do. That came from your heart. You, you said that because that was in your heart. See, according to Jesus, my mouth is a stethoscope to my heart. According to Jesus, if you want to know what's in someone's heart, you just need to listen to the things that they say. Now, if that weren't enough, Jesus goes on. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile them. So, so Jesus goes beyond just what we say and he begins to deal with what we do as well. And he, he just rattles off this list of ugly behaviors and Matthew's writing it down as fast as he can. And, but Jesus' point Again, it's the same. What the source is hasn't changed for Jesus. Jesus will say, hey, th that thing you did, yeah, I mean, here's this stressful situation and the drama is just raging around us and we do this thing that we know we never should have done, that we regret doing and, and we step back and we're like, oh my goodness, I don't know why I did that. That's just not like me. And again, Jesus raises his hand. He says, I know why you did that. Because that was in your heart. You, you, your actions just reflected on the outside what already existed on the inside. See, Jesus would say to us, what you say, what you do, this comes from your heart. Now, can we just be honest? What Jesus is saying here is a little bit difficult to hear, amen? Yeah. And, and there's even something in us that wants to push back on that. They're like, Jesus, no, you don't understand it. it it's, it's not my heart. It's just sometimes I say things that I don't mean. And Jesus says, no. Sometimes you just say things you don't mean to say out loud. Oh, Jesus, I don't have a bad heart. I got, I've got a good heart. I mean, my whole life, my mama told me I was a good boy. I got a good heart, Jesus. Jesus says, no. No, we can trace what you did right back to your heart. In fact, Jesus would tell us, don't confuse a good heart with a sophisticated filter. The things you say, the things you do on the outside, they just reflect what was already existing on the inside. See, Jesus understood. Jesus understood that our hearts are the important issue in our lives. Not just our words, not just our actions. Sure, the, the things we say, the things we do, they're important, they matter, wise people take them into account, but Jesus understood that our hearts, our hearts are really the important issue. And yet fr from a young age, we learn to engage in behavior modification. We learned to filter what we say and what we do. 
And, and somewhere along the line, we became convinced that the filter is really the important issue, and we even learned to ignore our hearts. But Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 your heart, not your filter, this is the really important issue here. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Jesus isn't the first person to talk like this. Hundreds of years before Jesus, somebody else talked just like this. A guy named Solomon. Solomon is a man who, who wrote just extensively and brilliantly about how to have a better life and how to be better at life. Listen, listen to what Solomon says about the heart. It should sound reminiscent. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. I'm going to say a lot of stuff. I'm going to write a lot of things. I'm going to drop all kinds of wisdom on you. If you listen to anything I'm going to say, make it this one. Above all else, guard your heart. Well, how come, Solomon? Because everything you do flows from it. Now, let me just make a few observations about Solomon here. One, he and Jesus, they're on the same page. They're both saying, the words we speak, the actions we engage in, the, everything we do, it's an outflow of the heart. You can trace it all back to the heart. And, and Solomon, he does something countercultural here. Solomon, he, he places the responsibility for our hearts squarely on our shoulders. The, 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 see, we live in this culture today where the victim mentality is perpetually being just fed to us. You know, that thing that person said, that thing that person did to me, that's why my heart is in the condition it's in, and that justifies what comes out of my heart because of what people did to me and because of what people said to me. And Solomon's like, no, this is your heart, and it's yours to guard. In fact, to those of us who bought into the victim mentality, Solomon said to us, he would say to us, how long? How long are you going to let your heart be ruled by that other person? How long are you going to let what they said, how long are you going to let what they did dictate who you are and how your heart functions? Enough. This is your heart to guard. And then Solomon, he calls us to action. He says, you've got to guard your heart. In other words, you need to monitor your heart. You need to be focused in on what's coming into your heart and how this impacts your heart and what you're going to do with what's in there now. In fact, every time that something ugly comes out of us, whether it's something we say or something we do, instead of having us look at our filter, someone have, would have us get introspective and guard and monitor what's going on in our hearts. He'd have us ask questions like, what's going on inside of me that led to that response? Rather than, how do I filter this thing so it doesn't come out again? No, no. What's going on in my heart that led to that thing coming out of me? Or, or Solomon would have us ask, what do I, 
How did that thing get into my heart in the first place? Like it's there. It came out. But how did it get there to begin with? Or Solomon would have us ask, you know, what do I need to do in order to address what's going on in my heart and keep it from growing to a place where it's going to poison my life and my relationships? Instead of figuring out how do I get a more sophisticated filter that, that what's in my heart couldn't possibly pierce in the future. No, instead of trying to hide it, how do I instead cleanse it? How do I clean this thing out of my heart? See, again, as kids, we learn to modify our behavior, to filter what's going on. But, but Jesus and Solomon, they're both saying, hey, the filter isn't the issue. The heart's the issue. And, and rather than just try and filter this thing from coming out again, what if you learn to monitor your heart? What if you learn to guard your heart? What if you learn to clean this thing out of your heart? Now, if Solomon and Jesus are right, then the question becomes, okay, well then how do I do that? How do, I, how do I not just develop a better filter? How do I actually clean this thing out of my heart? And that, my friends, is what the rest of the series is going to be all about. See, what we're going to do in each week after this is we're going to look at a different enemy of the heart. Just the, the, the things that get inside of our hearts and that come out in what we say and what we do. And, and really, to be honest, there's no shortage of enemies we could look at. There's all kinds of them. But we, we, we tried to pick the, the, the five that are most common and that are most destructive. And so each week we're going to go, hey, here's the enemy. Let's look at this thing. Let's unpack how it works in our lives. And then let's look at some biblical habits that do more than just filter this thing. Let's look at some biblical habits that could actually help us clean this thing out of our hearts. Now, I need to level with you about these habits. They've got an upside and a downside. Upside's really very simple. The habits, could cleanse, the, the, the habits could cleanse our hearts. They could change who we are from the inside out. That's a good thing. Here's the downside. The habits don't come easy. And they don't come quick. And the habits that we need most, there's just something inside of us that naturally tends to resist them. And so over the course of the series, when you hear somebody talking about a particular habit and, and you're tempted to go, well, I can't do that because, and you just fill in the blank, chances are that's the habit you need to pay attention to most. Because again, they, they will not come easy, they will not come quick, and there's just something inside of us that naturally resists them. Now, to try and illustrate what we're talking about here, let me give you an illustration about our figurative hearts from the world of our natural heart. All right? Let, let's say as you've been going through life here, you notice you're, you're not sleeping well at night, got a little bit of acid reflux going. Every time you climb a flight of steps, you're like winded when you get to the top. You think, maybe there's something wrong with me, right? So you go to the doctor, and, and your doctor runs a whole bunch of tests on you and, and, and sets up an appointment where we're going to review the results of these tests after we've got them back. And so you go to the doc, and you know, like you walk in, you know, I'm in trouble here. The, the, the look on Doc's face, it's super serious. And your doc, she, she hands you this pamphlet. And she says, you look. 
Your heart's not okay. We've got issues here. Here's the good news. You don't have to have surgery yet. You do the things we're talking about here in this pamphlet, and, and we can avoid surgery. And so you, know, you open the thing up, and you, you, you're kind of looking through it, and you're like, okay, here's this exercise regimen. You know, and she's like, yeah, you, you, you do these activities. We'll work your heart up to this. And, and then once you, your body gets used to this level of activity, we'll dial it up from there. And so, so you're reading through. And, and, and you're like, Doc, you don't get it. Like, I've got a bad heart. I, I can't do this kind of stuff. Like, do something to fix my heart, and then maybe I can exercise. She has this confused look on her face, and, and, and she says, no, you don't understand. You're like, no, no, no let, let, let me explain. Okay, like, the pamphlet says you want me to, like, walk 30 minutes a day, three times a week. Do, do you have any idea how tired I'll be after that? Like, I'll be sweating like a pig. Doc, you said it yourself. I've got a bad ticker. I can't, I mean... You want me to do these stretching exercises. If I do that, I'll be sore for a week. Doc, just do something to fix my heart, and then, then maybe, sure, I can, I can think about this exercise stuff. And she gets frustrated with you, and she says to you, I'm trying to fix your heart. I'm trying to fix your heart. You fix it by exercising it. The, the discomfort is part of the cure. See, see, the way you, you, you strengthen a muscle is you exercise it, you exhaust it for a period of time, and then you let it rest. And so we're going we're gonna to exercise, we're going to exhaust your heart, and then we're going to let it rest, and that's going to strengthen your heart. And so, yeah, you're going to sweat, yeah, you're going to be sore, yeah, you won't always enjoy the process, but this is the road to change. And now you think, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to have to give her the last 10% because clearly she isn't understanding this. And you're like, doc, doc. I tried exercise. It just didn't work for me. Like, I, I got on the treadmill, and I wasn't on the thing for five minutes. I thought I was going to die. And Doc didn't, you know, I mean, like all the people at the gym, they're wearing spandex. You know what I look like in spandex, Doc? I look like a water buffalo wearing pantyhose. I can't do this stuff, right? Like, maybe after I lose some weight, if it, maybe when you do something to help me out and fix my heart here, maybe then I can try this. Then I'll be happy to do the exercise stuff, because after all, you're the expert, Doc. And at that point, your doctor's the only reasonable thing she can do. She slaps you upside your head. <laughs> now, we smile about this, but I'm telling you, as we discuss these habits, some of us are going to be tempted to think or, or to, to say in our own heads or maybe even say out loud, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a great habit, but I can't do that. I'm just not wired that way. That's not my gift. I just don't feel led. I can't, I, I just don't have a heart for that. It, it, look, if God would just give me a heart for that thing, then maybe I could live into that habit. And, and when we think about these habits, habits that don't come easy, that don't come quick, and that we are tempted to resist, there's something inside of us that naturally, we, we just want God to zap us. We want to sing a song and pray a prayer and then poof, our hearts are changed. And what we fail to realize is that you don't change overnight a habit that you've spent years forming. And so God is saying to us, hey, hey, we've got to exercise your heart if we're going to change it. 
the discomfort, it's part of the cure. Yeah, you may sweat. Yeah, you may be sore. Yeah, you may not always enjoy the process along the way. But this is the road to change. So in this series, we're, we're, just, we're going out on a limb. And we're going to say, Jesus, he was right. And Solomon, he knew what he was talking about. Even though all our lives we grew up with this idea of, hey, you just, you filter your behavior. No, they're right. There's something more important than just a filter. And again, don't, don't mishear me. Don't just go out there and say anything you want. Don't go out there and do anything you want. Don't turn the filter off, right? There's some wisdom in that. But there's something deeper. It's our hearts. And, and when something comes out of us, it's simply a reflection of what was inside of us to begin with. And the solution isn't to get a better filter. It's to cleanse our hearts. And so we're going to go on a journey together where we try and do just that. Now, as we wrap things up today, I want to do something a little bit different. That for some of us is going to feel a little bit weird. That's okay. The discomfort's part of the cure. Um, so here's what I want you to do. We're going to go all Baptist on you. I want everybody to bow their heads and, and close, their, close your eyes if you would. I just want to invite you to take a deep breath and let it all out. Just try and block out the distractions of people that are around you and just be a little bit introspective. And just let me ask you a few questions. How's your heart? Never mind your filter. How's your heart today? Is there anything inside of your heart right now that you know you would do well to try and cleanse? Is there any anger in your heart? Is there somebody you're mad at? Every time they come to mind, your blood pressure just goes up. Is there any greed in your heart? Things that you don't have, but you want them, you feel like you deserve them, and you're just forever thinking about how you're going to get them. Is there any guilt in your heart? Are there things that you're ashamed of? And you're just hoping nobody finds out about it. Is there any jealousy in your heart? Seeing other people win, it bugs you. And seeing them lose makes you feel better. Is there any fear? Any lust? Any indifference? in your heart. How's your heart? We just want to invite you, please, join us. Join us as we try and figure out how to not just have more sophisticated filters, how to cleanse our hearts. Would you pray with me, please, church?
Father, just as we begin this journey together, I just pray that you will poke around in our lives. That you help us to see our hearts clearly, to see what matters most, to see what's inside of us and what we can do not just to filter that but to partner with you in cleansing it. Father, just as, as we're worshiping in person, as we're worshiping online today, if there's anybody here today watching or in the room who needs to begin this process of cleansing their heart by surrendering it to Jesus. Let's pray that they would sense that and it would be inescapable. And if that's you today, whether you're here in person or watching online, I just want to invite you to pray with me. Just to surrender your heart to Jesus. Because this idea of cleaning things out of your heart and your power alone, I'll tell you right now, you can't. But if you're at a place where you know that to be true, I would just invite you to pray. Jesus, my heart is broken. It's full of sin. It's full of pain and hurt. I can't fix this myself. But I believe you came and you showed us what it is to live, that you died to pay for our sin, to make it possible for us to be forgiven and clean. And so today, I want to surrender my heart to you. I want to put my faith and my hope in you. And I want to commit myself to following you with my life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.